Over the years, some harvesters have poked at me for taking my time in preaching through books of the Bible. Well, we've hit an all-time record with the book of Romans, haven't we? And we're just getting started. We began in February, and we're only coming to verse 14 of the very first chapter today. Would you please turn your copy of the scriptures to the book of Romans? Romans is a New Testament book. We're relaunching our series, so I'm going to spend some of our time this morning in review of what we have already learned, what we've already covered. And then we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 this morning, which we haven't looked at yet. And then next week, we're kind of building towards next week, which is verses 16 and 17, which is really the crux of the matter for the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. I want to remind you about some specifics that we outlined for us at the very beginning of this series, really some specific ways in which we can respond as a congregation to a series like we are going through here in the book of Romans. I've asked you, and I want to kind of ask you again this morning, to be an individual and that we would be a church that's praying about this series. Pray for God to change you as we go through this study. Don't waste our time. Don't waste your study. You can't change yourself. I can't change you. But you can pray that the Spirit of God will change you as you study God's Word. So pray that the Spirit would mature you, that God would use His Word to grow you exponentially as you go through this, this grand letter. Secondly, I want to encourage you to dive deep. Immerse yourself. Read the letter over and over, over again through our study here in Romans. We'll be here for many months. You can read it in about an hour. So if you take 15 minutes, four times a week, you can read the book of Romans that week. I've done, that's, how I, that's how I read through the, the book of Romans each week. I, I take four different times of 15 minutes to read through Romans. Read it in a different translation than you have typically used so that you, are, uh, you have a better understanding and opening of your mind of, of what the text is saying. And then thirdly, I want to ask you to prioritize this study. So gather with us if you're able. Stream if you need to go that route while we have live streaming available. Catch up if you need to go back and you, you have to miss a Sunday because you're on vacation whatever. Those sermons are available on the website. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to Romans, probably while he was in the city of Corinth. Uh, his third missionary journey near the end of his life, maybe around A.D. 57. So really, we're not talking about very long after Christ was here on the earth, very long after the incarnation. You'll remember, you know, it's common knowledge, if you're a, a child of God, that Romans is an epistle. It's a, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the Jews and to the Gentiles who had been born again, and they were residing in the city of Rome. So he's writing to Christians. He wrote to strengthen those believers, to equip those believers, to encourage those believers, to really to mature them uh, in their understanding of the gospel, to confirm uh, that they needed righteousness that they didn't have within themselves. The book of Romans teaches that they needed God's righteousness. 
as we sang this morning, that they needed to be clothed with the righteousness of God. And they could only have God's righteousness through the work of Jesus, through what Christ did at the cross. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus. Friends, it's important that we be reminded that every human being needs righteousness that we do not have within ourselves. We need help from outside of ourselves. We need righteousness that is not naturally ours. And so Paul explains that we don't have that righteousness and that God does have that righteousness and that righteousness can, that God has made that righteousness available to humanity. So Paul will teach over 16 chapters all about this gospel. He will teach all about the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's our theme for the book of Romans. That's, the, that's what we're pursuing. The undeserved. We, we are undeserving of this good news. And all of that comes with this good news of Jesus Christ at the cross. We're gonna, it's an undeserved gospel. It's an unmatched gospel. There's nothing that compares to it. There's nothing that can do what the gospel can do. Only the good news of Jesus can accomplish what the good news of Jesus accomplishes. And it's unstoppable. The gospel is going forward. Romans testifies to it, especially towards the end of the letter. Church history testifies to the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is our series. This is our, our theme. To study the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. Now by way of further review, you will remember that we've divided the book of, God, the book of Romans into about six different sections. And so just wanted to remind you of what those are and so we can kind of set the course moving forward. We see in the first chapter, the first 17 verses, and this is what we're studying right now, the priority of the gospel. And Paul says, here it is, pursue it. And then in, verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 18 through, through chapter 4, we hear the heart of the gospel. What really is the good news? And then Paul takes about three chapters, four chapters, to look at the assurance of the gospel in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. And we come to that grand passage at the end of chapter 8, assuring us that the gospel and of all that the gospel holds for us. Paul gives in the next three chapters a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why it stands. And then he, he moves into that practical explanation beginning at, at chapter number 12 where he says, Therefore, and here are some ways that you can practically live out the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've been considering those even uh, through the, through the re recent months. We've been considering things in chapter 13 like obeying those who, the authorities over us. In chapter 14 of how we get along with others and how, how some hold some days as being sacred and, and, re and, and, and revering those days and some don't. And, and some hold masks and some don't. And you know how you can apply it in, in, your, own, in your own way. So we've seen some of those in, in chapters 13 and 14. The, the transforming power of the gospel. How we live it out. And then Paul concludes his letter to the Romans by telling us, by explaining and, and testifying of the advancements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's begin again in Romans chapter number 1. And I want us to read this morning the first 17 verses. 
as we consider that first section. It's, it's a short section, a short division, the priority of the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to read a couple of verses, make some comments, um, kind of to remind us of what we've already learned as we've walked through several of these verses already. Please follow along from Romans chapter number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore, or beforehand, by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. We see that the work, we see the work of God in a life that prioritizes a gospel. So if we have a life that prioritizes the gospel, we can identify the work of God in that life. God chose Paul to be a servant of Christ, and he chose Paul, and he, he gave to Paul a specific mission to be a representative of God. Paul was an apostle, he says here in the first verse, and God communicated that gospel, that gospel promise through the prophets. So we're already seeing the work of God, how he's calling individuals to specific tasks, how he's preserving his word. In verse number two, he's promised this gospel message from the prophets of old, from the Old Testament. So God's work is alive and well in a life that prioritizes the gospel. Verse three, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made, made of the seed of David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And I think I, re I remember preaching this back in February and, and this verse really in the Greek ends with Jesus Christ our Lord. Here in the King James it puts it at the beginning, but really it's, it's building to this grand declaration, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5 by whom we have received grace and apostleship, through, through Jesus we received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, for the sake of his name, among whom ye also are called of Jesus Christ. Also to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in verses 3 through 7, we see the center of a gospel-prioritized life. The center of a gospel-prioritized life is not us. It's not even the church. The center of a gospel-prioritized life is Jesus Christ. And so we see that Paul is building everything around Christ. The message was about the one who had been declared to be the Son of God in power, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Son of God who had been resurrected from the dead, who had triumphed over death. The message was not just for those who were in Rome. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. Paul says, I've been made apostle to, to, to communicate this center of a, of a gospel prioritized life, Jesus Christ, to communicate his good news and for the obedience of faith for all the world, to, to all the nations. The message was to go to the whole world. And then Paul, in verses 8 through 13, describes to us how his life that's prioritized by the gospel, how it shows up and how he prays. So he's not praying here, but he's describing how he has prayed for his friends in Rome. He says, first, 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So he's saying, if it's God's will, I want to come to you. I've been praying that way. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be encouraged, established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. So Paul, has, his, his life is clearly prioritized by the gospel, and that life that exemplifies itself in his prayers. So he's praying with thanksgiving. He's praying uh, with thanksgiving for the faith of the people in Rome. Friends, if you don't know how to give thanks to God, if you're struggling to pray through the connection group list, you don't know how to always pray for people in your connection group, you can, one of the things that you can always pray for, you can always do, is you can give thanks for the faith of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You can give thanks that someone in your con connection group has faith, believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul is giving thanks for the faith of these Romans. He's also praying with diligence. He's prayed over and over again that he would be allowed, that he would be somehow permitted to come and to visit his friends, his brothers and sisters in Rome. He hasn't met them yet, but he's called, he calls them beloved because he knows they are his brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to come see them, so he's praying over and over and over again. Friends, when we have the gospel prioritized in our life, we will pray in the same manner. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us continue to ask of our God. If you have joined us, joined us on Wednesday evenings in our prayer service, we have this weekly since the beginning of harvest. We come together as God's people. We have time in the Word, and then we pray. And some, and some people that we've been praying for, we've been praying for for years and years and years. We've been praying for God to, to draw them to Himself in salvation. And you know what? Sometimes we've been able to backspace over those lines and erase those names off the back of the prayer guide because those people have come to faith in Jesus. This is what we are to pray. We are to pray diligently. Whether it's for someone's salvation or it's a, it's a physical need or it's a growth need, a spiritual growth need in someone's life, we are to pray with great diligence, with pursuit. Paul sets an example for us. He also was praying for a desired fruit. I love uh, just, just, just seeing his pastor's heart here in verses 11 and 12. He says, I want to come to you and impart to you some, some uh, how does he say it, some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Wow, what a great pastor. He just wants to encourage them. He wants to give them the gospel message so that they will be encouraged in their faith. Because what do Christians need? We need encouragement. We need encouragement to persevere, to endure through all the junk that's going on in our life. Day to day, week to week, year to year. We need encouragement to, to continue to flee from sin, to say no to the devil. We need to be established. And so Paul is saying, I long to see you. I long to be with you in order that, so he's praying for desired fruit, in order that I may, to give you some spiritual, impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. I want to see fruit in you. 
Then we see another part of his, his, his humble pastor's heart. He says, also that I may reap from you. In other words, and I, that I may be comforted, that I may be encouraged from you by your faith. Paul says it's a two-way street. I want to grow by you ministering to me. I want to see how God's working in you. And therefore, I want to grow as a Christ follower as well. And brothers and sisters, let's be reminded this morning of our responsibility to one another. This is why gathering is so important for us. This isn't just tradition. This isn't just a command from Hebrews chapter 10. This is, we, we see very practically here from, from Romans that gathering is, is a help to us and the mutual benefits of spiritual fruits. And that brings us all the way to where we left off on March the 8th. We covered verse 13, so now we come to verse number, uh, let, me, let me read verse 13. He says, Now I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, as, even as among the other Gentiles. And then here's verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are, that are also at Rome. Here's the, the grand idea from these couple of verses, verses 14 and 15. The gospel issues a call to, in, to initial saving faith. And the gospel issues a call to continued living faith. And Christians are still called to respond to that initial saving faith and to that continued living faith. Said another way, even post-salvation, even after salvation, we as Christians need to respond to the gospel's call for initial saving faith. And even after we've come to Christ, we need to respond to the gospel's call for continued living faith. We like availability, don't we? So if we're, we're making, putting, placing an order online or on Amazon or wherever else you order from, you like to hit go to carts, and after you see the price and you agree to it, you like to see the word available or will ship tomorrow or will be at your doorstep in a couple of hours or whatever it is, and we like to know that something is available, that's in stock. I remember back to the summer of 1994, and if you were born in the 2000s or later, 1994 was not that long ago, believe me. But, if you, but I remember back to the summer of 1994, I first met Tara. And at, it was in a group event, but even after that event, I sent out some spies because I wanted to investigate whether or not she was available. I mean, I knew that I was available, but I wanted to know that she was available so that I could ask her out so that neither of us would ever be available ever again. Amen? And so I wanted to know her availability. Paul is about to, to go to this great big point in verses 16 and 17 about the, the, he, about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he's not ashamed of it. But he pauses here to remind us that the good news of Jesus is available. The, the availability of the gospel of Jesus. Let's begin here very briefly this morning. At verse number 14, he says, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise 
and to the unwise. The availability of the gospel for unbelievers. An unbeliever is anyone who has not yet placed placed their faith, has not yet believed in Jesus Christ, that his work on the cross is sufficient to pay the penalty of their sin. So Paul is identifying recipients of his gospel ministry broadly, both Greek and barbarians, both the wise and the foolish, and all those who are in Rome. He says, first of all, here in in verse 14, the Greeks and the barbarians. The Greeks were highly educated in their society, in their culture. They were civilized. They were the intellectual elites of the ancient culture. The Greeks were distinguished from the rest of the Gentiles who were considered to be pagan barbarians. So the Greeks were the highly intellectual crowd of Paul's day. God sent Paul to proclaim the gospel to the learned of this world. The Greeks referred to the non-Greeks as barbarians. Interestingly, barbarian was a result of of speech patterns. And when Greeks heard outsiders, foreigners talk, it sounded like they were babbling. They They were stammering. And they said for the word barbaros, and they were saying bar, bar, bar. So eventually they started calling them barbarians because they were not able to articulate some specific speech patterns. So barbarians did not speak Greek. It was the language, Greek was the language of the educated. What do we learn here? God sent Paul to proclaim the gospel message to the unlearned of this world. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You still need the gospel. We have a bunch of PhDs in our congregation. We have many people who went to to Bible college or to seminary. We have people who who can explain and recite a good amount of Scripture. We have people that can diagram Hebrew and Greek. We have people that can defend their, their theological position with great persuasion. But none of those people are without the need of the gospel. All of those people, regardless of their academic achievement or mental prowess, are in need of the good news of Jesus Christ. Your intellect may be your, and your strong education may be top-notch, but that does not erase your need of the gospel. Maybe you're on the other side. Do you ever feel disadvantaged because your lack of academic background? Or maybe it's not academics. Maybe you think that you're at a disadvantage because of an ethnic background or because you have been ostracized in some way because of that. Or it could be the same with your financial situation. Maybe you feel like a barbarian in some situations. And this is where we must be careful as Christ followers. This is where we can mess up as Christians. If we communicate that the, 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 the gospel, that Jesus went only to the educated and to the wise and to the wealthy and to the influential, that he went there first, we communicate inaccurately. We communicate unbiblically. And that's Paul's point. He was called to preach the gospel both to Greeks and to barbarians. The availability of the gospel is for a specific race, the human race. All of God's creations need, all of God's human creations need the gospel of Jesus. Paul was also called to preach to both the wise and to the foolish. 
he says in verse 14. Foolish would include those who, who feel safe in their own little system. Maybe their own little religious system. They feel secure. New Testament Jews were often were like that. They resisted the gospel because they had built their own system of self-righteousness. Did you realize that's very common for Lancaster, Pennsylvania? We, it's not just Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But we have our own little systems of righteousness where we tend to feel secure. Or we tend to, to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are secure, are safe. Maybe we think if, I don't know, we can get our own little check marks for whatever it is in our box. You realize we all have different, different lines to put checks beside, right? For some people, it's church attendance. I'm never going to miss a church service, and so therefore I'm secure. Some people, it's the right clothing. Some people, it's the right Bible translation. Some people, it's the right music. We all have our own. It's, 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 sometimes it's even amusing to think about how everyone has their own little hobby horse, their own little, their own little platform. That's foolish. Paul says, I'm here to preach the gospel to the wise and to the foolish. He's telling us that no religion can save us. Only God can save us. Everyone, educated, less educated. Wise, foolish. All are in need of the gospel. The gospel is available to all. Young, old. It's available for those in Lancaster, Beijing, Rome. The whole world needs this gospel. My friend, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ... You don't know what it means to be a child of God. I invite you today to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Maybe you've been in church many times. You're, you're very familiar with, with this gospel message, but you've never called on Christ. I invite you to do that today. And if you have further questions of what that might look like, please speak with us after service. Contact us this week, and we'll be glad to show you from God's Word what it means to be a Christ follower. But if you've already trusted Christ, there is still an application for you among this availability, uh, as the gospel is available to unbelievers. The call is for, for unbelievers to have initial saving faith, but this also for us as, as Christ followers, the call is for us to continue to, to evangelize unbelievers. Paul says, I am a debtor to whom I preached, to, to these Greeks and to these barbarians, to these foolish and to these wise. Uh, the ESV says, I am under obligation. Paul owes a debt to God. He feels obligated to, to transfer that indebtedness to the people who, who need to hear the gospel. In a sense, Paul feels that he owes his life to every person that he meets. The gospel call for initial saving faith is not to be ignored by Christians because we've already had that saving faith. Rather, we see that call to initial saving faith and we go and speak of that out of our indebtedness to God. The great 19th century missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, had someone once suggest to him that the reason that he had given his life to the Orient was because he loved the Chinese, the Chinese people. Hudson Taylor replied, no, not because I love the Chinese, but because I have loved God. He loved God, so he went. He loved God, so he proclaimed. Is that how your life looks? Do you see yourself as a debtor to your neighbor, to, to a debtor to God to communicate the good news of Jesus to your neighbor, to our city, poor, rich, educated, uneducated, majority of people, minority of people? How often do we forget that the gospel 
is not just for us. It's for others too. How often are we stingy with the very news that communicates the generosity of God? Brothers and sisters, let's ask God to reveal to us ways in which we have failed to to give back and to to pay off the debt. Not that we can pay off the debt of our atonement, but to show our appreciation to God for the redemption that is ours. So the gospel issues a call for this initial saving faith. But in verse 15, we see the availability of the gospel for believers also. Paul says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he told the Romans that he was ready to preach the gospel to them. They were already Christ followers. They were already children of God. And because the gospel issues a call for believers to continue to live in faith that they have in Jesus. The gospel addresses not only our initial need, but our ongoing need after we've come to Christ. The gospel addresses uh, our continued need post-salvation. Well, what is our ongoing need? To keep believing that it is only through Jesus that we are reconciled to God. Because believe it or not, we can be tempted to believe that we are reconciled to God through our own works, even as Christians. We can be tempted to believe that we are reconciled to God in some other way, even as Christians. We need this gospel message continually preached to us and rehearsed to us in order that we would keep believing that Jesus is the only way and that we can be truly satisfied. Because we can be tempted, even as Christians, to believe that something else in this world, some kind of pleasure, some kind of event, some kind of substance will satisfy us. But the Scriptures tell us that only Jesus satisfies us. We need this continued gospel message in order that we will keep trusting in the reality that because Jesus died in my place, I've been made a child of God. I can be tempted to forget that I'm the child of God and that I have all the benefits of being a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I need this gospel message in order to keep leaning into the hope that I can have in the face of all the sorrows of this life. Man, you turn on the news or you, 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 look at, you look at the news online or you hear of it somewhere and you hear of the sorrows, even in our own community in recent weeks. And you hear of the sorrows and you, and you feel that the world is broken as the song goes. And we feel the, the hardships and the darkness. I need the gospel message so I can be reminded and so I can continue to believe that Jesus is going to make all things new, that he's coming again, and that he's going to make everything better, and he's going to wipe away all of our tears. We need the continued gospel message coming into us to keep us believing that the shed blood of Jesus cleanses me from my sin. Therefore, I don't have to wallow in the guilt of my sin. I don't need to lay there and enjoy the sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season, for a short time. Rather, once I've confessed that sin, I can move on and I can continue on my walk with God. Not because I have enough strength to do that. Not because I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to work hard at, at disciplining myself to love God. No, I can leave that guilt behind because all of that sin is under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. One payment, once for all. Because at every turn in our lives, we're tempted to stop believing, to stop trusting, to stop stop resting, to stop hoping in Jesus. Christian, brothers and sisters of Harvest Bible Church, the gospel 
is available to you today. So Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, who are already followers of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Lancaster at Harvest Bible Church because we all need it. And I'm not the only preacher, teacher, rehearser of the gospel. We're all called to do this work to one another. So remind one another when someone confesses sin to you and that they're struggling with some temptation, remind them that their sin is under the blood of Jesus. When they're looking for comfort and sorrow in this world, remind them that Jesus is coming again to wipe away their tears. Christian, let's not look to the helps of this world. Let's look to the gospel. Let's not look to the comforts and the pleasures of this world, the temporary situation that we are in. Let's be comforted with this gospel. Let's immerse our life in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's encourage one another with the reality of being moved from darkness into his marvelous light. Let's bring up our children with the good news of the great law keeper instead of bringing them up to keep the law themselves in order to be right with God. Let us, by the grace of God alone, champion, proclaim the undeserved, unmatched, unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. May it be true of your life as a follower of Jesus. By God's grace, may it be true of Harvest Bible Church in the days and months to come, should our Lord tarry. Let's pray.